I'm fine. She says you're still not sleeping. Perhaps we could talk about that. This grudge. Yeah. She's been especially needy lately. Oh, it's a rough life. You ever been to a standing funeral? El Muerto Parrado? No? It's in a, an uncommon earth tradition, but one my family practiced. When a family member dies, their body is embalmed and, and posed in a position that best evokes their life. My um, Tio Cesar was this infamous card shark. And so my family wanted to place him at a poker table. And it was all going fine. Till my cousins and I snapped off his thumb, trying to place the cards in his hand. What did you do? I used all my medical training, and I reattached it, and then broke off his index finger. <laughs> we couldn't stop laughing that whole funeral long. I didn't expect that. Well, in conventional therapy, I'm not supposed to share personal things, but as crewmates, we already know too much about each other, so sometimes the personal helps. Look, I get it. Grief is complicated, takes many forms. I need to let myself experience it, however it comes, right? Hello and welcome to Strange New Takes. Your host, Notch Garnigan, with me, mentoring angsty cadets, are Bill Woywad and Rudy Kisbaker. Welcome to Strange New Takes, where we're reviewing episodes in the strange new era of Star Trek. Today, we're recapping the fourth episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery, All is Possible. But first, uh, do remember to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, and also to tell your friends about us, um, we like getting five-star ratings. Uh, you can give us those on Apple Podcasts, and why do they matter to us? Uh, I mean, people love five stars, but uh, beyond that, uh, it helps It helps uh, people looking for cool new things to listen to around Trek uh, find us more easily. So uh, we appreciate your ratings. One time I was looking for a podcast, but it only had 4.9 stars. <laughs> Literally unlistenable. Won't even touch it. Uh, <laughs> uh, it almost sounds like the Uber rating system where if you give a four out of five, it's like, what was wrong? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> rating inflation. Uh, so uh, we're going to be spoiling this episode and also reserve the right to spoil any uh, Star Trek episode or movie ever. <clears throat> so watch out if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, and today, again, just to, to recap, we're talking about All is Possible. It's the fourth episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery, as I mentioned before. It first aired on 9th December 2021. It was written by a writer... Uh, Alan McElroy and Eric J. Robbins. Eric J. Robbins, who posted on the Star Trek 
subreddit in the discussion thread for this episode saying, hey, I wrote it, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. So very cool, very cool. I'm really happy for Eric Robbins uh, and Alan McElroy, but, uh, you know, he didn't come to Reddit, so fuck him. (laughs) That's that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, and it was directed by John Ottman. I think, again, just like last week, these three people, I haven't seen their names in the previous few Discovery episodes. So this is a new crew writing writing these three uh, for this season. But I'm going to confirm that before uh, in, in just a second here. So I wonder, I mean, I'm on Reddit. So does that mean that I could write a Star Trek episode? I'm pretty sure that's what that implies. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh, we always start our episodes with our strange new takes. So which of you has a strange new take for me? Uh, I have a couple. Uh, so uh, a quick uh, recommendation for all of our listeners, if you like uh, sci-fi more generally, uh, I really recommend that you read uh, the new book by Andy Weir called Project Hill Mary. It's I really think it's like a, a once in a decade, you know, kind of, uh, you know, novel in terms of quality. So re- really special. Recommend that uh, strongly. And then... Um, Pivoting to this episode, you know, really, I just wanted the Saru love story. And, you know, I, they got got a little bit of that, but um, <laughs> all this other stuff about Tilly mixed in, which, which was fine. Um, I'll go next. Um, for my general strange new take, um, what wasn't sure. Have we spoken about the black box for Earth yet? Um, if we haven't, there's they're creating a black box for the entire planet in case we get wiped out, <laughs> so it survives and it uh, is a repository of our history in a protected format. Uh, it's got um, it's got these this weird monolithic shape, uh, a la Space Odyssey. Um, they're trying to set it up in Tasmania, which is supposed to be uh, one of the most geologically inert places on the planet. Um, only thing you need to be worried about is that little Looney Tunes Tasmanian devil. Um, <laughs> it kind of looks like the Jabba, Jawa ship, Jawa yeah, crawler in Star Trek, uh, yeah. Star Wars. I, I guess they decided that it would be a little safer to keep it on the side as opposed to stick it up upright like a monolith. So, <laughs> um, yeah, interesting stuff. Um, and then my take on this episode, um, New writers, but got to love how they uh, keep the tradition by eliminating the unnamed extra on that shuttle. <laughs> I was like, okay, everybody's going through names. Nope, he didn't introduce himself. Uh, it's not <laughs> he's done. He's done for. And then he was like alive, right, for a few seconds. I was like, oh, surprise. No, <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> See, but this is exactly how Discovery gets things wrong. He was in a yellow uniform. It's only the red shirts who die on Star Trek. Come on, <laughs> Michelle Paradise. Literally unwatchable. Uh, well, my, my strange new take is going to be about racing. Uh, Bill has unfortunately, I'm visiting him and he's been hearing a lot about racing from me because this was the finale of the Don't, I haven't watched it yet. I have a media blackout. No, I'm kidding. Okay. I, I okay. spoiled I, myself. I, I, I won't, I, I'll, I'll stay away from spoilers, but I'll say this. <laughs> Formula One is this kind of effete European racing that nobody in America would have previously watched. It has become incredibly popular here because of the Drive to Survive Netflix series, which is super fun, which 
Honestly, if you're looking for something on Netflix just to watch, Drive to Survive will knock your socks off, if, whether or not you care about racing at all. But this season in particular has A, seen a lot of new fans because of that series, but it's also been probably the best one in 10 years. It is so drama-filled that this last race, like Rudy, even if you spoil the result, you need to watch it just because of how incredibly ridiculous it is. Literally the last lap of the entire season decided things. So it's like oh, you have to watch the entire race to to figure it out. I, I mean, trust me, I didn't spoil much there. So it's incredible. Um, just wonderful. I started watching racing as a kid. So for me, it's it's kind of a tradition. But uh, highly recommend if you're find, looking for some new hobbies in your life. Uh, with this episode, I think I'm with Bill. That Saru love story is great. I would watch an entire episode of Saru and the well, Navarre president. Uh, prancing around an Irish town in the Voyager holiday. I would I would totally do that and I would be shipping them hard. A few maybe about 10 or 15 years ago I'd be writing like as a as a teenager I would write Saru Tarina fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shipping them pretty hard. So uh, good stuff. Well here's the episode summary from Memory Alpha. Tali and Adida lead a team of Starfleet Academy cadets on a training mission that takes a dangerous turn. Meanwhile Burnham is pulled into tense negotiations on Navarre and I'm, I'm gonna add at the same time Book and Culber are in a therapy session that involves a surprising amount of self-disclosure for a therapist which then made <laughs> me reflect on how all Star Trek therapists seem to self-disclose way too much and it's probably not right for therapists to be friends with their like patients like Star Trek counselors are like you know it's it's um I know Adam has been very like uh complimentary about therapy on discovery and I agree with him but still like you can't be friends with the people you're providing therapy services to. It's like the first ethical rule of therapy from what I understand. So uh, pretty funny. Anyway, well, we, we have three pretty compact plots over here. And before we jump into them, I want to hear what you guys have thought about Discovery so far. Because it's pretty much been me, Emily, and Adam, as far as I remember, discuss, discussing Discovery. We haven't had the two of you on the pod so far. So... I want to hear a little bit more about what y'all have thought about episodes leading up to this one. Well, I only watched the episodes that I broadcast for, so I have no idea what happened before. Um, no, I'm kidding. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been weird, right? Um, I, 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 I caught up. I watched the first episode. I was in the uh, season pilot podcast with you, Notch, and, and I don't right. remember when we were um, all quite unified in our uh, thoughts. Um, I think the show has progressively improved. Um, I, I liked this episode specifically in how they're, um, they're skewing episodic. Um, I liked how, um, the previous one brought in, uh, you know, well, I, I always felt that focus on one of the core races would be, would be nice. So... Um, bringing in the whole Navarre angle um, last episode and and I forget the the name of the the almost lost species Abronians or something like that right yeah um, um, that that angle was was nice um, so uh, focusing less on a um, a burn type of like you know all is at stake, everything is going to end kind of thing. 
Uh, even even though from the perspective of that almost lost species, it was <laughs> make it or break it. But yeah. um, but I I kind of felt that a little more enjoyable and and it's like before it was the stakes were were continuously so high that it was just too amped, and then now when they try to continuously amp with these you know you know broad broad themes that that make everything seems so so at risk it just it, it loses it doesn't feel like that anymore so so I, I i'm glad that they stepped away from such um broad uh everything is at risk kind of themes and focused on specifics uh i honestly feel this episode was out of the four and out of quite a few of discovery um was one of the better ones for me yeah, I I agree with with everything that you said, Rudy. And I um I thought the first couple episodes were pretty weak. I thought the second one was really weak. Uh, I agree that the kind of existential threat to the universe that seems to be needed every single season it just for me it really has never resonated. Maybe there's a viewer out there that likes that, like a thirteen year old boy or like. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know specifically I, don't hold back now yeah yeah but but for me it has always just felt really hollow because there's not it's totally impersonal right there's nothing uh grounded in any type of character uh that we care about in that type of plot it's just yeah it's like very one-dimensional um so anyway, so they did that again. They have to do that every season because I guess that's like discovery. Um, and so they have this anomaly this season. Fine. I I think that uh, episode three I liked a lot because they didn't focus so much. Rudy, like you were saying, they didn't focus on that so much um, and had a really nice kind of self-contained mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt kind of like you know, 1990s Star Trek for me a little bit. And then this week, we also kind of had a self-contained plot with Tilly kind of being in the captain's seat. Um, Didn't enjoy it quite as much as as last week's episode. So, you know, I mean, they're they're kind of maintaining that super high stakes, um, like existential threat arc this season, which is, I don't think they're ever going to get away from that entirely, but it, but on an episode by episode basis, they seem to be um, not focusing on it quite so much. And, you know, uh, just one final point, you know, episode two, it was like dealing with books, trauma from, you know, Quajon getting blown up. And I, I didn't really enjoy it as an episode, but I accept the, the purpose of, you know, <laughs> of that episode of both in terms of like having book actually deal with the consequences of this event um, was important. And then I think it also tees up uh, subsequent events that, that happen later. So I think let's, let's use that as a tee off point. So first of all, happy to get your views out there. And I, I kind of generally agree on, on the stuff. I think I, um, I love that. <laughs> exactly what i was thinking i forget if it was episode one or episode two i said like just why don't we just have this anomaly thing in the background and just use it to like do a bunch of diplomacy and other fun stuff yeah mm. it's exactly what they seem to be doing good job discovery people i trust you a lot now um pending episode five but uh let, let's use the book thing as a tee off because that was one of the quicker plots in this episode 
Culber is having Book create this sand object that's never going to be truly the same because you're supposed to, like as Book says in the episode, you're supposed to have all of these things that are from Kuijan itself. Um, but he can't, he can't truly make it. And I, I, so I'll just start off by saying, I thought it was great that we didn't get like, everything is great. It's all okay. Like at the end of the episode, you know, it was like, book seems to be doing great. And Burnham was really happy about that. And then our episode three, and then in episode four, it's like, actually, it's going to take a while and you don't get over that right away. You have ups and downs. So I thought that was a pretty mature way of, of dealing with the subject. Yeah. Yeah, and it, he kind of seemed to get a little bit of relief from the mind meld, right? I'm like, what if he becomes like a mind meld junkie? He's like, oh, gotta get me some more mind melds. Like, who, <laughs> it's like, do you know a guy? Like, somebody can hook me up. I mean, that was literally like the plot of some Enterprise episodes, right? Yeah. Mind melds were like a deviant practice that like they oh, were yeah. addicted to or oh, something. Oh yeah, the <laughs> rogue ship, Vulcan ship that was getting getting off on mind melds. Um, I, I guess. It's it's tough the whole um, book recovery thing. We we spoke about trauma and recovering from trauma in the uh, Nog uh, holodeck episode, right? A while back, right. um, and and trauma is is tough. And we we were aghast, almost in in a in a ridiculing fashion on how they just wiped out his planet, right? In the first episode. And then we're like, okay, now we're trying to see him come to terms with it, but we're still kind of shocked and and unaccepting of this um, this 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 act that they carried out. But yeah, I, I guess discovery across all these various plots, and this is this is a little bit of them trying to do too much with too many things. But I think they're trying to help educate the audience on how to how trauma is not something that's you know black or white or goes through cycles of um i mean goes through one cycle of closure and you're done and you're back to normal you're never back to normal right um right. With, with trauma and and i hope they show that healing through the season and and don't like make him super happy like two episodes from now or something like that right so uh, I'm I'm glad at that attempt. Uh, I hope the audience sees it for that because it took me a little time to understand it. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, sorry to jump in, Rudy, real quick. But what you're referring to as what what you're hoping that they don't do is kind of what they did with Detmer last season because she was dealing with some trauma stuff, and they were just like kind of hand waved it quickly. Um, they showed her asking for help, but they didn't like show her kind of dealing with it at all which i think was a loss for us at that point and not this entire crew seems to just have bounced back from going 900 years into the future really really well and like this should be an entire ship full of people feeling a massive loss so in some ways i guess this is kind of a a stand-in for some of that which they didn't do earlier maybe we'll get some of it later like tilly is is i feel like tilly's arc which we'll talk about in a second some of the stuff she says in her conversation with burnham at the end of the episode touches on some of that trauma where like yeah my mom's gone now i don't need to live up to her standards but i don't think it's quite the same as as dealing with loss i think that's a very different kind of um a different kind of conversation or reckoning with with the jump forward but at least with book we're getting this kind of long uh longer exploration of what it means to to grieve mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's two different sentiments. And for the one in being out of your time, out of your 
you know, out of place is like 900 years out of place. That's never something we can realistically um, uh, analogize to, right? Like the closest is like people who are, are, are you know, in their older years and, and the world has changed very quickly as it has in say the last five years. And it's like, whoa, what happened? And how do I make sense of myself? The people I, you know, people I know are, are no longer there or fading away one by one, things like that. So, and I don't, I don't know if they will be able to explain that or there'll be an older audience that will appreciate it. Um, but the other one around loss, it, it is a complicated one. And even with Nog, I think we didn't see that in too many future episodes after the one, right? So it was, it was very compartmentalized and I wasn't against it then because I think that was right for the, for the genre and the time at that point in time, but I hope they, uh, they make it meaningful through multiple episodes and they've played around a little bit, right? With Culver and with Stamets and their own personal issues through the previous seasons and how they're yeah. de dealing with trauma of various kinds. So yeah, it's not going to be easy, but hopefully it's, this is simple and linear enough for the audience to understand over multiple episodes. I, I do think that if this was a 90s track, we would get an episode where like a few crew members from Discovery were like, yeah, we're just going to jump back in time to go see our loved ones and then we'll be back, you know, because the technology exists technically, right? They could go around the sun a few times and end up like the past isn't going anywhere. It still exists. So theoretically, they could do that. And then we could have like the time cops from Voyager show up. And <laughs> that would be a really interesting episode, actually. Yeah, if some right. like crew members go AWOL and it turns out they went back to the past like illegally. Yeah, I think it would be, and it would be completely understandable, right? Like that—that that sounds like something that mm -hmm. isn't kind of um, wouldn't be completely out there. But hey, getting back to the book and Culber thing again, now we see Culber fully entrenched in his role as ship's counselor. He's talking to Tilly. He's talking to Book. What do y'all think about Book's self-disclosures? Now, I, I'm I. I mentioned earlier they're completely unethical like a, a therapist should not be self-disclosing well you get to choose how much you self-disclose it should not be is a very strong word i am not a therapist i uh i have only ever been friends with therapists so um but it seems like therapists take self-disclosure extremely seriously they take the ethical constraints of not being able to counsel their friends very seriously but okay this is the magic of television we don't need to worry about that second angle of friendship but at least the self-disclosure thing seems to be kind of a, a very slippery slope. So I don't know what y'all thought about Gulber's attitude during that, that whole counseling session. Well, yeah, he talks about himself a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just probably not that uh, useful as a therapeutic technique, right? But, um, you know, I uh, from a character perspective, I liked it, right? Because it showed that uh, Culver is still dealing with his trauma of being mm -hmm. brought back from the dead, right? You know, talk about something you'd like never get over. Um, that seems really weird. He should. I uh... also just I I like his character a lot. I think Wilson Cruz is great. He's he's probably my second favorite Discovery character after Saru. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, although. <laughs> Just a final thought, you know, from a, a medical standpoint, it's it's ridiculous, right? Like a doctor on like in, in Starfleet does everything, right? It's like <laughs> surgery, sure. Psych, <laughs> sure. Endocrinology, why not? Like, you know, it's just like I'm a doctor. I can. You know. 
By the way, I wanted to, something you mentioned to me, Bill, while we were watching the episode together was this, you know, is a standing funeral or really a thing? Like one of the things Calvert mentioned, yeah. is that they have the standing funeral. It is actually a thing. Wow. And you could actually, if you Google it, find some pictures of standing funerals where the, the human in question who has passed away is posed as they would be in life. It's it's a little bit weird, uh, to be perfectly honest, to my sentiments, but I can, you know, funerary customs differ so greatly over different cultures that like, um, I think it's one of those things that you do accept. It's a difference and, you know, it brings meaning and helps people grieve. It's good for them um, to do. And it's, I think, I think I, I, I appreciate when Star Trek brings in some of these more obscure cultural angles and helps us learn about different things in the world, you know, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard instances. I have vague, recollections of standing funerals and i wonder if there's one where they like it's not not not, not exhuming but the the corpse is sort of brought back and it looks mummified yep. and they're dressed up like with like in a tuxedo or something like that right so i've seen yep. i've seen instances of that um hey with with culver i'll just say two things and, and they're not very serious so my apologies one is he's totally got the steve jobs therapist look going with his black whatever top and just needed some some nice glasses <laughs> um and yeah he and uh Shaq should kind of get together to share notes on uh post-death uh, <laughs> trauma Culber <laughs> uh, can help Shaq's get over meeting like a duplicate fighting a duplicate of his father <laughs> yeah exactly around the black mountain or whatever <laughs> um yeah I I think this plot, even though as self-contained as it was, it was kind of interesting for me to, to watch. Um, and I, I would hesitate. I would, again, emphasize, don't try these therapy techniques on your friends. Like, they, they're not necessarily what a therapist would do. Because, like Bill was saying, Culver seems to talk a lot. If you've been in therapy, you'll know that your therapists typically speak very little, especially early on. Um, and it's, it's not quite like this, where it's like, Culver seems to be more of like a life coach. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Which, you know, more power to. Uh, also, you know, the best uh, smartphone inventor on Discovery, as Rudy just pointed out. So, um, but let's let's move on to, let's talk about the diplomacy plot next. Because I, both of you, I think, appreciate a good international relations related story. I think, knowing both of you, I think politics and international relations are things that you are not averse to. So what do you what do you think about this whole? Uh, I'm gonna call it Nivar exit or ne exit uh, <laughs> angle. <laughs> exit. Um, it's it's funny. It's like they do so much. I, I like the I like the setup. I like what was at stake. Uh, the execution. Uh, well, let, let me let me speak to that a little bit. Uh, they did so much to set it up, right? Um, mm -hmm. Gosh, like three quarters of the episode to set it up and and the real the real diplomacy the finding the middle ground the goldilocks zone whatever was basically you know the solution to all problems is michael burnham so that that was a little comical for me um i loved the the saru Turina breakaways um in between they did a really good setup. I just felt that the way they 
solve for it. It's something I thought they could have actually taken over multiple episodes even, right? It's it's mm-hmm. Vulcan. It's Vulcan coming back to Starfleet. You don't have to, like, solve it. They literally solved it in, in less than five minutes or three minutes in one conversation in the end. Well, they solved one aspect of it, though, because they, they, they implied that the negotiations have been going on for a very long time mm-hmm. and they've got this document written. So it's like this one remaining... Which, I mean, I, I studied negotiations this past semester in school, and one of the negotiating tactics, that's kind of hard tactics, um, not necessarily something you want to do uh, all the time, but it's basically at the very end, once everything has been agreed to, you come up with one more demand. So everybody is kind of, there's more pressure to just accept it. Yeah, everybody's invested, and they're just like, sure. Sunk you know, cost. Fine. Yeah. 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 But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but what 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 do you, what do you guys? I mean, we can talk about the build up first, though. I think the, the solution maybe it's not it's not fair to talk about it up front. Um, I I liked I liked the, I mean, I like anything Vulcan in terms of the um, the background, the scenery. Um, yeah, I like the 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 delegations on both sides, um, the 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 active uh, Suru being served tea, right? Um, created a sense of mystic uh intrigue and, and love <laughs> well i yeah i mean for people like me it took like three separate instances to like hit that home uh, by the end i was like yeah <laughs> i can't ignore it anymore but um uh, so I, I like that part um there's this there's this interesting you know constructive debate dynamic or constructive jousting dynamic between the president and Burnham, which I think they are able to flesh out um, uh, in, in a nice way. They could do more with it. So I, I like that. Um, she, she, she totally manipulated Burnham and Saru into participating. She was like, you got to sit down and shut up. And she knew Burnham couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and and it's it's nice how they kind of figured it out uh, logically themselves, right? Um, but, and, and, and it's, it's, so the whole, the whole captain thing, right. Over the last two episodes as well, switching around between different people who gets to be captain, who isn't of the sojourner or this one. And, and, and they're still keeping it open in terms of what, what Burnham could end up doing. Right. Or, or, or is Burnham, like this is a broader question. Or is Burnham like a Cisco or a Picard who, is captain but ambassador like they'll just do anything better than whoever's supposed to do that job right (laughs) (laughs) um like there's ambassadors that come in but the captain of the hosting ship or the hosting station is the one that solves it right so (laughs) maybe that's how maybe that's how they're gonna set burnham up um picard picard shows up to like the the 23rd century olympics and he wins all the medals like he's better than (laughs) athletes yeah yeah what do, you, what do you guys think about the the setup the, the build up and before the solution i i thought this storyline was fine um i thought it you know I'm, I'm guessing the writers were trying to harken back to like picard and next generation and all the diplomatic plot lines in that tv show but it the the it, it didn't quite hit home for me, you know, in TNG, there will usually be some weird 
alien custom that the humans kind of disagree with but have to accommodate because it's like ethical or whatever and this was more just like a kind of run-of-the-mill disagreement but you know it, it felt kind of forced um i mean it was a cool opportunity to see burnham and saru in action and kind of come up with a solution i uh rudy i agree that like i love seeing vulcan and the um the the sets or the you know sets that i'm assuming were mostly cgi were awesome i love that part in the costumes and everything uh but yeah i mean the the and you know how bogus was that you know it's supposed to be like a signing ceremony and then the the vulcan president gets up and she's like just kidding we're not gonna sign it <laughs> here's some random thing i didn't tell you about like in our private negotiations that i'm gonna bust out like in public in front of everyone I well, mean, she took, I, she took Natchez negotiation class. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you guys in that, like, it's it's highly irregular, but it wasn't a public ceremony, right? Like, this stuff does happen at, at the negotiating table between, like, this was, which was the one I was reading. There was, a, there was a, the, 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 um, oh, what are the, the Camp David Accords mm-hmm. that Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. negotiated with him between Menachem Begin of Israel and Anwar Sadat of Egypt, which, by the way, still hold, mm-hmm. um, led to over 50 years of peace in the Middle East. Um, there, This stuff happened where they had like, they were almost ready to go and then they, they were pulled back by something happening last minute, some crazy. And in fact, it went the other way where the negotiations had fallen apart. It was the final day. And there was like basically what what Jimmy Carter did is he sent Menachem Begin photos, signed photos that said, I had wanted to give your kids this as a memento of like the historic deal that had been signed. So I'm very sorry that we're not able to do that. And that guilted Begin into agreeing really? to the final yeah settlement. And it was it was totally like a, a last minute agreement. And and then Carter was like, quick, before anybody changes their mind, get a pen into their hands and get them to sign. And so it was, it's a really interesting story, by the way. There's a great uh, book about it. It's called like uh, 10 Days or Some Days in Camp David, I think it's called. Um, read the book. Fantastic story. But I feel like this is something that does happen in international negotiations. And the idea of having to koto to entrenched interests. So even if you as the leader disagree, you have to represent the people on your planet. And sometimes you have to manipulate proceedings into still doing what you where you're going where you want them to go and making everybody feel like they've been heard, preserving people, like saving face for people. I think that was that was really cool actually. I, I enjoyed it, it felt like a lot to put into a TV show, and maybe that's one of the reasons that maybe it doesn't come across as like it doesn't have the full gravitas that it maybe would have in real life. Like you're saying, Bill, if it was like over or I forget which one of you just made the point that it should have been over a few days. But I I, I appreciate it that they went for it, I guess. Yeah, and, and I guess Bill, sorry to paraphrase, but I think what you and I are saying is when you're when you're coming to an agreement and you work towards building trust towards that agreement, that agreement in a sense encapsulates the trust you have built and you are taking forward as a representation mm-hmm. of that agreement. And so if somebody pulls something at the last minute, you're like, wait, then my ability to develop trust in you is now in question. And so even after the agreement, I'm not sure what you may come up with, right? How strong is the agreement? 
um, are, 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 are are the consequences that have been laid forth in, forth in the agreement for you to do something unexpected in the future? Are they strong enough? So um, so in, in your case, Notch, where you are coming from, coming from a position of disagreement and then figuring out an agreement at the last minute, that's great. But like coming from a position of alignment and then adding something on top, that's a really good business strategy. I agree with it. It, it, it totally gets you on some cost. It, it sometimes, depending on the sensitivity of the negotiation, sets you up for confusion beyond, right? Like, yeah. Hey. Well, let's take a quick break here. I want to make just a couple more points about the people involved in the negotiation after we come back, and mm -hmm. then we'll talk about the Cadets Starfleet Academy plot. For someone who dislikes politics, you show an aptitude for it. I assume the Admiral made a miraculous recovery. Well, now that you mention it, he was looking, well, better last time I saw him. Hmm. I received a piece of intelligence this morning indicating the exit clause request was coming. I had to protect my source. President Arena. Mm-hmm. <sighs> if you wanted my help, you could have just asked me. Truth be told, I wasn't sure you were the right person for the job. But I'm glad you were. I appreciate that. I know transparency isn't always possible in your position, but it is what I need to best serve you and the Federation. So if you could be more forthcoming in the future, I would appreciate that as well. Understood, Captain. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We've been talking about getting into the Yosemite Valley. I recommend uh, base jumping from a drone. <laughs> um, at what height <laughs> I, I don't know you decide maximum height <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah I, Bill and I visited it was a, a lot of fun I highly recommend if you haven't been to Yosemite before dear listener that you go Rudy has been many times so it's a, it's a good time but um, what I was going to say before before we took a break was I appreciated that the end of this episode uh, this plot this negotiation plot did not have burnham and the president kind of disagreeing it feels like again they're aligned and they're working together which is such a relief i didn't want a big bad president uh who the captain hates who poisoned admiral vance and <laughs> got him sick <laughs> <laughs> Right. It feels like everybody's being an adult and they're like working through their interpersonal differences <laughs> rather than having like TV plot syndrome where everyone is just, which we'll get to with the Starfleet cadets. Um, but they're not like hating each other for contrived reasons. They're able to like understand that they have mutually, non-mutually exclusive goals that they can all meet working together. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But, th but there is some tension, right? But I think it's pretty well done. It's almost like... Um the typical like you know like a police procedural the like you know the captain oh captain's gonna shut down the investigation or whatever like uh in in the wire lance reddick's character who's like i don't know like uh uh chaotic good or something you know <laughs> so sometimes it's an ally sometimes it's an enemy right uh 
and it it's, it just adds more tension because then there's like can be internal tension or tension coming or conflict coming from the top right well maybe they're also having conflict coming from you know something having to do with the emerald chain or you know some external um source of conflict and i so far i think it's you know it's i just like that amb ambiguity right i think it's really interesting and so far i think the <laughs> you know president has been pretty well done yeah she wears a serp what looks like a serpent on her outfit uh, and i and i i really hope that it's not like they're trying to like be like she's a snake <laughs> um I, I don't mind someone who is like a character who's manipulative while being good like you're saying chaotic good like kind of you know as long as they're like at the end of the day everyone says like okay we all work together to common good but i really hope it's not gonna be like she's been evil all along <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it would, it would really i think be very lame have we have we spoken about her background yet or potential background in like being nth generation or first generation or she is human, Bajoran, and Cardassian, which was explicitly called out in this episode. It's been previously known through her like biography online before the season premiered, but um, that's her. That's her background, which is really interesting, actually. Yeah, I wish they could go into it some more. I'm, I'm excited to hopefully see them go into it some more, um, to to see how it influences her. And in in terms of her like physical features. If you compare it with, um, <coughs> I, I forget, um, this guy, sorry, it's, it's bl I'm blanking on it. The, the main antagonist in DS9, his daughter, Ducat. um, who? Or Dukat. Dukat, Dukat, yeah, Dukat. <laughs> oh my God. Um, his daughter, so she was also half Cardassian, half Bajoran, no, no human, uh, but her, her features were more pronounced. She had a more like the the coloration was more Cardassian, but the, she, our 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 president here is looks like she's a few generations of of um, interracial families. So it'll be good to see what what's happening there, or somebody coming in from her past, like some angry uh, pure Cardassian uncle or something. Ducat comes back from the yes, like <laughs> he's spit out by the prophets at this time. <laughs> with of um, hell yeah 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 it's um and and just while we're talking about presidents tarina and saru again just touching on their touching scene literally their touching scene they touched each other <laughs> through their meditation you know i bet there was some version of that meditation where she didn't have to hold his hands but she was like you know what i'm just gonna go for it <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me be the ignorant one here um because i know we've we've joked about uh, relations and potential relations in the past so this is really happening right guys like th th there is something yeah. that it, it is explicit it has been referenced now multiple times. It's, I mean, they had like this close up with like Siru looking like a deer in the headlights when she's like holding his hands and stuff. Like it's, it, this would be the worst direction I've ever seen if they're not implying a romantic <laughs> angle. <laughs> and, and do we have any ideas of, of the origin or it just happened now in this episode? It was there last year. So when the when Tarina is first introduced, she and ah. Saru in season three do have some moments where there's some like glances and kind of th there there's a crush that you see for Saru on Saru's end at least. 
And at the, I think it's the last episode where she says something like, I'm looking forward to working with you or something like that. I can't remember exactly now, but it was heavily implied last season that there was something there. And now two episodes have occurred where, I mean, this one much more explicitly, but I think it was in the, the third episode, I think, uh, as well, where there is some, some, or maybe it was the second one where something is implied as well. Mm. Interesting. Can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Siru, next uh, chief of staff of the president of Navarre. Um, well, let's let's move on to the Starfleet Academy angle. Tilly is told by Culver to take some time away. And I don't know if you noticed, Rudy, Bill didn't, and I didn't until I read it online, that this seems like almost not quite a backdoor pilot, but an introduction to this rumored Starfleet Academy TV show that they're making. I didn't uh, think of it, but it makes perfect sense now. Like, I, I, I always assumed it would be like 23rd century Starfleet Academy or 24th century Starfleet Academy, but uh, take a beloved character from Discovery and spin off the show based on her instead. And Mary Wiseman seems to be like fairly well entrenched into Star Trek. Her husband is fairly well entrenched into Star Trek now after having appeared um in the previous season as that uh and andoran guy who dies so oh okay. it, it makes perfect sense yeah. to spin her off hmm. I, yeah, um... Reed, I i just don't know if um i was just gonna say i don't know if if paramount cbs you know is gonna want a sixth show within the next year or two I th i'm guessing they probably need to end one or to make, to make space on the shelf to add a new one because which ones do we have right now what are the what are the ones that we've got prodigy discovery picard strange new worlds and lower decks and lower decks it's five and starfleet academy has been rumored um and we've also got the the rumored section 31 show for which scripts have been written mm -hmm. with Giorgio. yeah um and just, just to give you a quick update about what has occurred is that Alex Kurtzman mentioned on Star Trek Day that, um, that they're, they're thinking about a, a Starfleet Academy show. There's been a lot of conversations about it. And so it's, it's not confirmed yet, but it is definitely something that they've said officially that they're thinking about. Yeah, I guess, you know, maybe the timing isn't so bad because my assumption is that Picard will run for three seasons, right? And so the second mm -hmm. one will come out in a few months and then the, the third to follow. And Discovery might, I mean, the fifth season could be its last, potentially. Yeah, and I think I think the good thing about an Academy-type show is when you have these mainstay, like if you, if you don't have an Academy-type show and you have these mainstay shows which have their own flagship ships or... And, and they're supposed to be like chronologically concurrent and then it kind of takes the audience into like maybe potentially picking between shows or, or comparing them. Whereas if Starfleet Academy, if an Academy show runs in the same time frame as one or more other shows, it can share the universe, it can share broader mm -hmm. plots and it show like a... Uh, like how how Lower Decks shows a Lower Decks version, right? It can show like an Academy version of of um broad events right um so so I, I think it can run concurrently i agree that having a large amount of shows concurrently is is, is a bit much but as as, as, only... as a type of show yeah sorry 
The only thing I'll say is a missed opportunity if they don't do it in the 24th century. It's a great excuse to get your favorite Star Trek actors back for one more episode, right? They're like guest teachers for this week's episode. Benjamin Sisko comes to talk about Bajoran religion, you know, the prophet. Uh, or like, um, I don't know, Harry Kim comes to talk about what not to do to get if you want to get promoted. <laughs> um, he'll probably still be an ensign. But like, you know, th- there's stuff like that that you can do if you do it in the pre, you know, 90s Star Trek timelines versus doing it in 32nd century. On the other hand, That's in the 32nd century, there's more kind of angst and kind of if they're thinking this might be a show directed at high schoolers, for example, if this is kind of like their version of like Dawson's Creek, um, <laughs> this would be a good, there's a lot of like emotional angles to plumb, which is exactly what we did in the plot this week, where, you know, it was your, I mean, it was a pretty standard, like unlikely people working together. They face an unexpected challenge and then they, start fighting amongst themselves and then there's an inspirational speech and they all pull together and you know there's a deus ex machina where we learn that the guy everyone thought was evil is or had a you know evil in his background is actually has been good all along and just too embarrassed to tell you anything so so this is the plot that for me dragged this episode down a little bit i didn't enjoy it as much yeah i think the intent was good and and in general like I think I like Discovery tapping into plot templates of um, Star Trek past, um, you know, saving a, a, a longer sleep species or... The, the I mean, cadet- this... this the- so, sorry, I want to just talk, talk about one thing, which is Good Shepherd and Voyager is kind of the same episode where those three people don't get along and Janeway has them on an away mission, right? Yep, yep. And and, and so, but, but you liked that one though, right? Or did you not like that one either? I did, and it was extremely annoying that none of those characters ever came back. I think yeah. like one of them might have come back one episode down the line. I thought they were very compelling. Yeah, so, I, so in terms of the template, I I felt it was it was a fair one to go after, but you're right, it was it was too contrived. And I think they tried to take present day problems or 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 difficulties, and they tried to retrofit it in in. And they try to force force the lessons learned part, right? So when they do all of these things, and then they use an you know an, an old plot template, it sometimes just comes out as, as as you said, not too contrived. Um, I I like at the end of this whole uh plot, you know. It was like they'll be a worthy part of any crew, and and um. Uh, w- that means that these are like what they're not first year cadets, but they kind of act like first year cadets. They, they kind of act like people who wouldn't qualify to get into start the yeah, Starfleet Academy, right? Like <laughs> if you went through the Wesley Crusher kind of trials one thousand years ago, um, like they wouldn't get in. <laughs> Did you guys realize that Gorev, the guy who was always angry, was a Tellarite? That was my assumption. I didn't. I thought he looked more like the the you know the guys who stabbed Picard in that. Oh, Nausicans. yeah. Damn dog. <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> he looked more like a Nausicaan than a Delarite. Maybe he's an interspecies uh, product, right? Like who knows? Yeah, but I I I kind of settled on Delarite, but you're right. It didn't quite look like um, any of the Delarites have seen so in 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 Trek. Um, yeah, and and I, and I felt I felt 
they they did they did okay with identifying very distinct and and unique personas for each of the cadets mm-hmm. but then the the uh, the conflicts were so were so shallow they were they were like they were so planted it it it, it didn't make sense and it kind of took away from like again i felt the way that they resolved it at the end was yeah we have to pull somebody out and so let's let's all literally pull pull that person out and and then oh one of us is in danger so we're all firing so there weren't really this is what i didn't quite like about the episode as a whole in general the way they solved for stuff was very just in time and i guess that's the thing with star trek that's always been the case um, yeah i mean come on man <laughs> <laughs> but but when you spend like 15 20 minutes building up to something it was like oh okay cool i i do i do hope we get to see them again um i don't <laughs> I, i know and, and i think the, the reason you say you don't is because they weren't very meaningful and i agree with you i just hope they get a chance to show some meaning yeah let's look at to be competent <laughs> yeah i i speak of competence i enjoyed adira's part in this role i thought they were a great um addition to this plot i thought that adira tilly dynamic was kind of fun because you know you see this other inexperienced officer questioning their commanding officer and i thought the the blue del barrio played this really well in terms of kind of this sense of i am not a cadet but i'm still not like a you know it's i'm still a new officer i don't know how to do everything right away my my i'm impulsive i feel like i have some authority but i might not be like full like i'm, I'm not someone who's um got it all together yet if that makes sense so i got that vibe really well um i also thought that mary wiseman's take on tilly is good i have enjoyed i continue to enjoy her tilly as grown as a character i'm still not 100% sure about this whole like emotional questioning thing i i get it somewhat but i'm still like it's it's they're going to have to do more with this before i buy it fully like her decision to leave discovery and it seems very quick if that makes sense um so but we'll see where they go with it Yeah, I mean they they just decided that they wanted her to go teach at the academy and then they like back calculated some <laughs> some yeah. character driven reason for her to do that which I think is not it is kind of confusing. I mean I almost think it would have been nice if it was just this episode where she's like forced to go to the academy. Right. We don't see anything at the end she's like that was eye opening. This is what I've been waiting for. Like I love this rather than it being kind of this like three episode it, it it's Man, kind of weird that way storytelling. You should be a writer for you're on Reddit too not so I think maybe you <laughs> could uh, write it. <laughs> yeah, I I I want an an internet full of people writing on Reddit and podcasts like uh, <laughs> dissing me uh every week. Yeah, no thanks. Um and I'll just take this opportunity as much as sometimes we criticize writers and we criticize and we have some harsh things to say about their creative work. Um a lot of respect for putting themselves out there into the public eye. It takes a lot of guts to do that week in week out and we always got to remember that someone's creative output is not their a reflection of their a their worth as an individual which is kind of obvious but also it's not reflective of their entire creative output. So uh I know we we are sometimes quite harsh but 
have to just say that out loud once in a way just so that it uh, it gets out there and there's no confusion because there are people out there who can't differentiate those things and send like death threats to their favorite star trek <laughs> writers because it's like no. you did this to my character obviously you deserve to die what no 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 they don't at all they deserve to go and get nice coffee at starbucks and sit down and relax okay you're yeah exactly anyway so but, but getting back to this thing um I, this this episode fell into this classic Star Trek thing of somebody died and yet everybody's really happy at the end of the episode for some reason. It's like, dude, the pilot died. Like, can, can we acknowledge that that was horrible? Like, one in one in, in the six people of, of, of the uh, six people on the ship, one of them died. Skewered straight through his heart, if I can remember correctly. Right, he's like yeah. one wound on his chest on the left side. That's like a seventeen percent loss rate. That's not good. Yeah, but but it's also it's also established precedent. (laughs) Are you so not? Are you saying you are still trying to digest Tilly's fit in in a teaching role, Um, or or was it? No, no. It's it's the it's the it's the reasoning for her to make this dramatic move. I'm not sure I buy it yet. Yeah, it was kind of. I didn't really get it. She has all this angst and she's like, oh, I need novelty in my life or something. So I'm going to try spicy food. And that wasn't it. So instead I'll teach at the academy. Jeez. Yeah. I think it's a very mature angle. And I mean, I don't know about you guys. We're all at an age where we've made career changes. We've had to think about our lives and our goals. I think it's a very mature thing to be like, I have been trying to do something only because my parents told me to do it. And now that I don't have that pressure, I can choose to do something different. I just not I'm not sure I, they've they've done a good enough job of like putting that out there. I can buy it as an ang- just as a concept, but on the show, I don't think it works for me yet. Mm-hmm. So, but maybe they'll go somewhere with it that really makes it land better. Yeah, and and so for me, it's like if we go back one season and and the conversations around Dilly and in command and. Um, you know her her acting as first officer and and um, it it was like you know getting that above and and before other people and then her coming her coming in here with the whole um, Nala's episode right the the season pilot and having loss of life there so it looked like they were trying to figure out a way to get her to be the empath the the nice kind. Uh, uh, approachable one but at the same time extremely competent and and decisive and i get i guess the nice kind loving approachable empath personality fits really well with somebody in the teaching discipline i, I wish i wish uh diana was here to you know uh prove me wrong but but or or, or you know give give more insight or then prove you right or prove me <laughs> right right um um but yeah, what I was thinking in that sense, it kind of fit more. Like she, she also noted that getting promoted to lieutenant was the worst day of her life, and I was trying She's to understand. She's actually a mariner, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the crossover plot, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I mean, what do, what do I, you guys I, think? I, I I I don't know. I I guess maybe I've said a bunch on this already, so I'll keep it quick. But I get it. I get it. Sometimes you 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 shoot for something, and then when you get it, you realize it's not what you want to do. Yeah, I guess so. So, 
Well, let's let's keep chugging along. I thought the uh, Burnham Tilly scene was actually really heartfelt. It's one yeah. of my my favorite scenes between the two of them, and I thought it worked really well for me. Bill's nodding. Yeah, I agree. So, so that was that was touching, and this is I the snoring we'll, one, the snoring frequency one. Yeah, yeah, okay. that, that 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 scene where she reveals it. But I think we really do need to spend some time on the most important thing in this episode, which I mean, I've been taking some time to process this and really understand how, what it means for Star Trek as a whole. That Gray has a mullet now. <laughs> yeah. That's the advantage of having like an android body is I think you can just like grow a mullet overnight if you want to. Right? And not being a Starfleet officer, no one's like, is that mullet regulation? Uh, yeah, is that a regulation? For, for trolls? Yeah. Uh, but fantastic. Uh, <laughs> did y'all see that the snow globe uh, that Adira and Gray are working with is a Annex 01 starship? No. Cool. No, I just looked at it as a genetic starship. Oh, really? Is it? It looks nice. a lot like an Annex 01. Another little tribute is that they had Captain Imahara or Imhara of the Armstrong, USS Armstrong reference. A um, That's a reference to the Mythbusters actor. Uh, is it James Imahara? Grant. Grant Imahara. My bad. I knew it was like a just sound. Anyway, Grant Imahara, who passed away this last year. We've oh, seen really? We've seen Discovery make tributes to Star Trek fans who have passed away or Star Trek actors who have passed away. Grant Imahara, big Star Trek fan. He's cosplayed before. Uh, talked a lot about his love for Star Trek throughout his life. Um, his loss was felt pretty deeply mm. in, in, in a lot of communities um, who really love the guy. And so... Nice to see Star Trek give a little bit of a tribute there to him. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's nothing else. If there's anything else from the episode, uh, uh, speak now or forever uh, keep your peace or whatever the, the, the words in weddings go. Um, so I'm, I'm going to move on to Strange New Ratings. Which of you would like to stick your necks out and give All Is Possible a rating? I'll, I'll go ahead... I will give this um, 7.5 crazy, what do they call them? Zooid creatures out of 10. (laughs) Um, I I, I like the plot templates that were used. The execution um, was also okay. I just felt that maybe I'm being a little too hard just on this episode, but I just felt that the way they solved stuff right at the end was a little too quick. Um, but, uh, hopefully they carry on this trend, um, you know, keeping the first and second episode aside and keep the, keep the big bad, uh, DMA a little bit in the background (laughs) for a few more episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Same exact same score. Very similar reasoning. I'll just leave it at that seven and a half on 10. Yeah. I, zooid creature isn't that redundant isn't it like saying like an animalian <laughs> yeah. animal <laughs> uh, yeah yeah <laughs> exactly exactly uh seven out of ten for me yeah same <clears throat> nice well look at that we're all on the mean uh, i didn't have adam looking at me being like what how dare you get out i'm hosting the podcast from now on you've clearly lost your mind um we love you adam and your 10 ratings 
But uh, we will leave it at that for this week. Uh, looking forward to, to watching more of Discovery starting next week. Uh, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Rudy. Very exciting to always uh, be able to watch these episodes and be like, oh, yeah, I've got this like time set aside to discuss all my feelings <laughs> about it with people. It's always good. Thanks, thank you, Ash. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Diana. Wherever y'all are, whatever it is y'all are doing, I hope it's a great time. And thank you, dear listener, for making time for us this week as in previous weeks. Really appreciate you giving us a listen. Thanks just to Guha for our theme music. We always uh, appreciate hearing you strumming away at the guitar. And thank you, David Cronenberg, for being in the episode again. We still don't know really what your function is in Starfleet, but like you look kind of cool uh, with those glasses and that black suit. So always happy to have you back, man. Uh, anytime. <laughs> Hopefully next time you come, you have some even different function where it's like, now I'm in charge of uh, Navarre relations. The next time you show up, you're in charge of, I don't know, the research into zooid creatures. Whatever. It doesn't matter. You have glasses and a black suit. You can do anything you want. All right, everybody. Talk to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.